Welcome to Chief Wellbeing Officer. I'm Stephen McGregor. This is the October 2019 episode. It's episode 21 and it's all about artificial intelligence this month. Uh, will the machines make us more human? Uh, more on that in a few moments. So what have you been up to? Hope you're enjoying autumn. It feels to me at least it's just been a couple of days since I recorded the September issue with Noria Oliver. I've uh, been pretty busy, just got back from Stockholm last night, but you know, very grateful for all of the the travels and the work that I've been doing and just so rewarding to work with some people who really are uh, convinced of the value of well-being for for performance and just feel that I'm making an impact. I think that's at the end of the day what's what it's all about, right? Um, so what else? You know, I had a really good, um, it was a really heavy travel block in the last couple of weeks from Dubai to Madrid and, and London. And last week, you know, shout out to Declan and Armin uh, in Serrano 99 and the Positive and Mindful Leadership Summit that I attended in Shoreditch, which was such a great event, great energy and great work that those guys are doing on building a community of interest and hopefully something that I can I can take on board as as Toby and I and SAP try to launch Humanizing Business next month. So that will be the 8th of November. I've already contacted some people to try and come along to that. It'll be a very kind of small meeting to begin with and hopefully we'll build momentum as we go forward each business quarter in Barcelona. But I guess, you know, in the next month we'll we'll put out outputs of that in social media, but that will be yeah Friday the 8th of November, it'll be the SAP offices. If you've got real interest in turning up uh, and coming along to that, then then please please get in touch. Uh, so what else? There's the summit, um, there's the Humanising Business Initiative, which starts next month. And uh, there's also a new Chief Wellbeing Officer uh, weekly series, with Expansion. So if you remember a couple of months ago, I mentioned that I had been writing over the summer in Directivos de Verano, the supplement for uh, summer reading uh, for execs for that newspaper, which is, as I said uh, previously, it's like the Spanish FT. And um, so each week now we have a, a video on Chief Wellbeing Officer, which is out and that's shared on social media with Expansion. And you'll find that online. We'll probably share that on the, the website of, of the lab also in the next couple of weeks when we get time. It's a weekly thing, so how long that lasts, I have no idea. Uh, you know, doing that and, and the podcast and a lot of these production things, it, it does get pretty challenging when when thankfully businesses is busy at the same time. So, but at least we'll get several weeks of that moving out there uh, each Friday morning. That is published on Expansion TV. Uh, and of course, you need to be able to understand Spanish if you want to look at that and absorb that. But it's very much the same messages that we've been putting out in Chief Wellbeing Officer uh, the last several months with the new format. So as a reminder, you know, this is a podcast interview, the audio version, which is about 30, 35 minutes. Uh, typically, we also have the 1,000 word article with our friends at the European Business Review and they have the one minute summary video which is published on YouTube. We bring all those together within the European Business Review and also you'll find that in different parts online. So I think that's enough for the catch up. Let's get to this, this episode. So I was really delighted to interview my good friend uh, Misha Zielka 
who is a former partner at McKinsey, 15 years in McKinsey, and just made the jump, the very brave decision to leave the firm and start up his own company. So as we talk about an interview, you know, there are lots of, uh, there's a good precedent of successful entrepreneurs who have left uh, McKinsey and went on to form some really big companies. I really hope that Misha follows in those in those famous footsteps. Uh, and we talked about his uh, new enterprise, Enable, and literally AI is at the center of Enable as part of the name. So we look at artificial intelligence, we look at some of the things that are trying to get moving uh, in terms of well-being, which will come uh, later in the journey, but certainly in terms of productivity and leadership, which is their near-term focus. So they're looking at building the team and then eventually the vision for uh, you know, recommender systems and looking at both upstream and downstream. So as a leader within an organization, uh, look at how you can better uh, improve the performance of teams. And then later on an individual level, you get insight into your personal performance uh, and your personal uh, strategies, let's say, for, for well-being. That would be the vision further down the line. So the, the vision in this episode was to bring a more positive view of technology and how that could look in the future and how AI can really help us flourish as human beings, which contrasts with last month's episode, which was looking at how uh, technology often has not been in our favour and it has often exploited our human weaknesses. So I felt this would be a really good contrast uh, following on from last month's episode. And it was just great to talk to my friend Misha as he embarks on this very uh, daunting journey, but exciting journey as well in terms of entrepreneurship. I tried to do the interview face-to-face when I was with him in Dubai last week. We ended up going to the pub instead. <laughs> so then we had to do it when I was back in Barcelona and he was in Boston. Uh, so I, I hope that you enjoy the interview. You know, other things that I think to, to, to highlight in terms of permission for busy, successful people, right? And, and Misha, we've had these conversations uh, most of the last 12, 18 months on things that you can do that is not going to you know, detract from from working hard, but which is a, about having a very positive notion on health and well-being, which doesn't compromise performance, but allows you to be your best self. And, and I think even my own experience the last couple of weeks been very busy again and traveling. I've really had to reconnect with what are the things that I need to be very aware of in terms of my health and well-being recognizing that it's not a, a, an answer that you get, it's a constant challenge. So I think listening to some of the things that Misha does and gets you know, value from, I think there's some real value in that, in his personal journey, as well as what we can learn with this new enterprise that he is uh, developing right at this minute in terms of artificial intelligence and how that can improve our well-being, right? So, you know, can the machines make us more human? Uh, but I think there's a lot more within this interview other than that. So I hope you enjoy October's episode. Many thanks for tuning in again. And of course, keep well, amigos. I'll see you next month. Bye-bye for now. Ciao. So hi, Misha. Welcome to the Chief Wellbeing Officer podcast. Well, thanks, Stephen, for uh, the invitation. So if we're, we're talking about AI in this episode and in a very literal sense for enable ai is at the very heart of of what you guys do so in this new world of work 
what, what will it do for us? What will AI do for us to, to make work better? Yeah, thanks. Uh, Steve, first of all, it's a pleasure of uh, having been invited by you. And uh, exactly as you say, AI is um, at the core um, of Enable. And actually, our elementary mantra of Enable was that um, uh, if you kind of take a look at the world uh, of uh, companies, uh, we have the profound belief that everybody deserves to be led by a great leader. And Enable and the product that we are developing right now is a product for leaders, which means that while the product has impact on the entire organization, the users of Enable are leaders of the organization, which means all the way from the CEO to the frontline manager. And AI plays um, a very important role in two parts uh, of it. On the one hand side, the upstream of Enable, which is about quantifying productivity and well-being of leaders and individuals across the entire organization. And then on the downstream side, uh, to find a way to articulate and send leadership recommendations in real time to the individual leaders to accompany them almost as a, a digital coach over time. So AI is literally at the heart of what we are doing. It's a product that actually accompanies leaders to uh, quantify what is happening on the ground, how do people feel, how productive are people, but at the same time accompanying leaders over time and as you can imagine um, uh, it's quite a complex task in tens of thousands of people in an organization um, uh, to use data to quantify and then accompany and that's where AI plays an absolute profound uh, role of uh, what we are doing. No it's interesting I mean even in last month's episode we talked to Noria Oliver uh, in terms of the darker side of technology uh, and I think here you know you're talking about um, you know, having an accompaniment, uh, looking at improving productivity and well-being. So it's this more maybe positive notion of AI. I actually just saw an interview that Noria gave uh, to a publication here in Spain. And the headline was, many people still think the AI is about robots. <laughs> and I guess that's often an association, right? Um, but what we're talking about here, you know, some of the things that you're saying, like a digital coach, um, you know, collecting the whole, you know, sheer quantity of data that we have in organizations in order to provide, you know, recommendations and nudges and, and just help people do the best work. Is that, is that right? No, you're absolutely right, <laughs> right, Steve. And I mean, if we think about the term artificial intelligence, it's often quite wrongly under understood because uh, the term artificial intelligence is used in many different contexts. Everybody associates something with it, but very few people know what AI actually means. And the very simple definition of AI is actually machines acting in ways that seem intelligent. And uh, that's quite a simple definition and easy to, to remember, but of course the story, everything behind is way more complicated. If you took a, a look at AI, AI is a field and not a single topic. Uh, it, it, in the end, it includes several elements. There's machine learning, there's robotics, as you just mentioned, there's natural language processing. The interesting part is even in these themes, there are several sub-elements of deep learning, supervised, unsupervised learning. So. AI is, is, is a field that actually kind of englobes several different elements that are quite diverse and quite different in nature. And the second differentiation is that um, AI is, there's a narrow AI and a general AI. And uh, a narrow AI is what actually exists right now in the world. That is machine-based systems designed to address a specific problem. Probably you've heard of that AI 
that uh, beat the uh, the best uh, goal player in the world. It's a very confined um, problem where AI is being AI is being used um, without any exogenous factors. But then at the same time, you have general AI, which is where exogenous factors play a drastically important role. And in the end, right now, everything that we see right now existing in the world is narrow applications of AI and the general applications of AI, AI we're actually kind of quite far uh, away, it's still kind of decades to come until this becomes reality, that actually AI is able to fully take over a multitude of dissected problems that normally humans do. And there we are quite far away. And I think uh, a lot of people see the Terminator movies and all these <laughs> kind of, and it is, they associate it directly kind of with AI, but I think kind of AI is more complicated, more diverse, and it can be used profoundly as a, as a force for good in the world. Um, uh, but of course, can be absolutely right once we migrate over the years to come and decades to come, um, having the right regulations around it and uh, ensuring that whatever is being developed is being used in the right way. Um, and that's an, uh, a very important kind of layer that we need to constantly monitor and, uh, and activate. Yeah. And that was actually, a, you know, a question I was going to come to in a few minutes, but maybe we can touch on that now. When you mentioned regulation, and again, in the previous episode with Noria, we talked to maybe, um, you know, new regulation coming in with the example that she gave that even the FTA didn't exist 100 years ago. So it's just, in many ways, the whole technology field is so emergent that we're still getting to grips with what is needed on a, in a regulatory uh, level. Um, and last week I was at a conference where we touched on the, the, the issue of ethics, and I think ethics in AI is so fascinating. You know, some of my co other colleagues who are working in the field um, actually had an audience in the Vatican uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and with Pope Francis and, and, and his own interest in ethics and AI. So the question here, you know, and I guess you, you've covered some of those things already, you know, is there a darker side to AI? Should we be concerned in any way? And of course, perhaps in the future, when a lot of other things are, are, are possible, as you say, in 10 or 20 years' time, but even right now, you know, is, is there a concern, even when you're talking about things like leadership, that the AI becomes becomes the leader within the organization and we kind of delegate all the kind of, you know, leadership qualities that we should be giving in an organization in a, in a human sense? It's a great question, uh, Stephen. And <clears throat> I think this is being profoundly discussed in uh, in all circles, from the academic circles to the actual kind of application circles right uh, right now. And I think... Um, uh, let me start actually my personal kind of definition of ethics and then answering uh, your question because in the end uh, a subject be it AI be it um, a weapon be it anything kind of that exists in the world per se I don't think by design there is a darker side to anything it's the application of it where uh, there's a risk of the darker side actually kind of becoming active. I don't think that anything that kind of is being produced by default that there is a darker side is really about kind of how do we as human beings uh, develop it and then use it um, over time. And I give you the example, for example, what we are uh, developing um, uh, in our uh, in our companies. We, we use existing data and new data to do all that quantification. Um, 
it can it be wrongly used uh, over time the answer is absolutely yes but it's really about kind of how we structure the product how we educate the leaders um, on it how we ensure that the narrative is right that the individual employees and the leaders really embrace uh, that new type of information and, uh, and insight and this is kind of a task in our case for example of enable and also the leaders where our product is being uh, being employed to mitigate all the associated risk of subjective perception of the recipient but also the usage uh, within an organization context and i think the same happens to all ai applications globally take boston dynamics for example right now this extremely successful uh, company that creates all these very sophisticated robots is there a data side of the uh, and, and they are profoundly run or entirely run on AI. Is there a darkest side of creating these ro robots per se? My answer would be no. Um, is there a risk that what comes out will be used in the wrong way over the years to come? The answer is probably yes. And that's where, uh, where I was mentioning regulation and uh, um, trying to find ways to mitigate, educate and mitigate um, uh, the wrong usage. I think that's where we should focus our time. Not not that the first line question, is it ethically right or wrong? Um, I only think, only in the fields of, of genetic re-engineering, I think there the, the right kind of question at the very kind of base and source level is right. Should we actually do that all or not? But once you migrate to more, um, into other uh, subjects, I think the application is the anchor point of the discussion of, uh, of ethicality and yeah. not, uh, not the lay before. Okay, great. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for those reflections. And of course, just to mention that you're in Boston right now, right? So within that whole ecosystem uh, there, which is, I guess, very important as you as you grow the company. Um, looking more specifically then, so, you know, we're talking about, you know, what Enable does. So you're looking at um, aspects of leadership, um, productivity, right? I think some of the things that you're trying to do is actually you know, given the amount of time that many of us spend in work, a lot of that time can be more productive, right, in terms of engagement. Uh, so maybe you can talk through some of those things that, that you're, you're offering organizations. And then also maybe the future vision for well-being. So how could Enable, um, through this AI approach, better support the well-being of people within, within organizations? Yeah. Thanks for that question, Stephen. I think um, um, in our mental model of enabling, we separate uh, individual performance and individual health. And we, we ask ourselves the question, how AI can help um, to create transparency on individual performance and collective performance and health. And then we separated these two worlds. Think of it as a duality. Um, and where we, we are starting right now is on the individual performance and collective performance, which we define as productivity, which really kind of answers the question, how can we become, uh, how can we kind of create uh, a higher quality output with the resources that we put in into an organization? It's really about kind of how can we do higher quality work with less hours of work at a daily basis to be more consistent uh, to have a higher quality impact into your team or into your division or into your area. Um, and that's where we are currently fo focusing on. Where we want to migrate to, that's where the, uh, the second part of that duality comes into place. In the same way that individual performance or productivity is important, 
Um, at least as if not more important is the individual health component and that's the well-being side where uh, the questions of uh, what is your physical well-being, mental well-being, emotional well-being, spiritual well-being, what is your state right now and what can you do as an employee and as a leader to drive that over time uh, to create sustainability while improving your productivity. I have a profound conviction that there are square correlation between finding a sustainable operating models for you as an individual, for your team, for your area, all the way to the entire organization are critical ingredients to outperform competition over time. And that has implication on productivity, but in the end it has implications on organizational performance, um, be it on the cash flow P&L um, uh, or balance sheet uh, level, and in the end of shareholder value, but also stockholder value into society. So. Uh, where we are starting is at a very grassroots, bottom-up level. We put the human in the center, the human being in the center, and ask ourselves the question: um, How productive are you? How is your state of well-being? And what can you do? And then we consolidate it from small teams all the way to the entire ecosystem of an organization. And um, how we will um, approach it is via waves. So the next kind of 12 to 18 months is the pure focus on productivity, and then step by step. Uh, we will get into the well-being side of the equation. I think in the end, uh, this duality is where real impact can be created. That's, I think, kind of also where the where the um, where the demand of organization is. Where lots of organizations know we have to move, but nobody knows exactly yeah. how. And that's where uh, we, as an able, try to try to support and help. Yeah, and you know, we we've had you know several conversations on this. Uh, over the course of this year and uh, yeah it's, it's absolutely the case that you know we can look for productivity and performance and we can achieve that in in the short term without looking at well-being and health of course but when you're looking at that sustainability uh, and of also extending it from small teams out to the the broader ecosystem then of course putting the human at the center and looking at you know broader notions of health and well-being is absolutely critical for that for that sustainable performance. Um, so that's fantastic. Um, and, and and of course within the whole domain of AI, it's a very common mantra that it's about you know the, and at least the positive view of it that it allows us to uh, you know our more human qualities to to flourish. Um, it, you know, is there a kind of simple example on what that looks like, even in the short term now, with improving productivity? Is it a series? Is it just, as you said at the beginning, um, simple recommendations that come through to the manager within an organisation and how to actually change the way that teams operate? Is it individual nudges that that a user would receive? What 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 is the kind of simple view on on what it provides? The, sim uh, the simple view is that uh, uh, going forward for organizations that uh, use Enable as a, as a product, you as a leader and even as an individual contributor, you would come every day uh, to work and you have a mobile app and you have a web interface where you can go inside and take a glimpse of how you dedicated your time, how productive are you or, or have you been the last day or the last week or the last month and what are the sub-components of it. And so it's purely via dashboards, very interactive and user-friendly and exciting dashboards, trying to create transparency and giving it almost as a management tool to the individual leader to be able to have that transparency over time. That's the upstream uh, side of the, uh, the equation. The downstream side of the equation then, if I'm going to work and I lead, let's say, the finance department of an organization and I need 40 people, 
and the upstream would provide me transparency of the productivity of my uh, of my team. In order to drive that productivity, me as a leader, I have to change some mindsets. I have to activate uh, some uh, behaviors, um, uh, motivating person X or doing Y or doing Z. That's where the leadership recommender comes into play. That I receive at the daily basis several different nudges or sometimes weekly weekly nudges that fosters me to reflect about or being nudged to do something differently and then over time we correlate the nudges that were sent to productivity improvement so there's a feedback loop into the upstream analytics um, on it and enable in in the end is, is is a management tool that leaders will use at the daily weekly basis to drive productivity over time and then once we migrate into the well-being side the same logic of the upstream and downstream will also apply where I go to work and I actually kind of see how well is my team. And the, uh, the downstream would be kind of what can I do to increase uh, peak performance, flow moments, sustainability of my team over time, but also kind of for me individually, how, what, what can I do? How can I re-engineer my own operating model to find more sustainability uh, and uh, fun and flow and peak performance in my own life as a leader in that organization so that's the vision that we have and where we are right now fantastic sounds really exciting on a more personal level you know they're they're again as we talked about this year they're pretty you know or very inspiring examples of of mckinsey alumni becoming very successful or entrepreneurs and i think you, you know some of them as well you know could you just share if it's okay some of your your personal reflections this year as you as you made this switch you know is you know a, a big jump um there was a precedent there um from others as i said but you know you, you must have felt pretty vulnerable at times and i don't know what was some of your mindset as you as you made that switch uh, this year that is a very deep question <laughs> <laughs> plenty plenty of reflections were accompanying uh, me, but by pointing it down to a couple of uh, thoughts that were accompanying me in the last couple of months, I, I think the first big thought is an is a feeling, thought, and reflection of extreme gratefulness um, uh, for the last fifteen years. I mean, kind of the the um, the ability to having been based in so many different countries, having had the opportunity to serve so many different clients across thirty plus countries, and the learning curve and the impact. I think it was a lot of a gratefulness for these last 15 years and uh, I came to a point um, I think combined uh, professional career and also in our personal uh, journeys came to a point where I was starting to reflect um, deeper um, what do I want to create in the next 10 to 15 year, years uh, or what would I be most proud of in 20 years looking back and saying kind of this is what I created between the age of 40 and uh, and 55 and then I came very rapidly to the conclusion that um, I would love to create something to impact individuals um, at scale um, in a positive way in the work setting because we are dedicating so much time and work uh, by design that actually the professional setting is a very important anchor point to have an impact in the world. In the world. And then the second reflection was um, what is the right platform uh, to achieve this aspiration and very rapidly I came to the point that I felt that, that entrepreneurship per se and being in the driving seat and creating something with a group of like-minded uh, like-minded uh, people is something that was that is profoundly intriguing uh, uh, to me 
And then, um, uh, even though it has not been an easy step, also my wife was uh, extremely kind of encouraging me. Uh, she saw the passion that I had talking about the vision and the different kind of uh, pathways. And then, you know, once that constellation uh, has been uh, created, then uh, step by step the conviction kind of rose. And then I uh, it just felt right, intuitively, um, it felt right to do it. But you are absolutely right, Steve. I mean, the last, I would say, kind of six to nine months, it was not a straight line. It was a roller coaster of, of, uh, uh, of emotions, roller coaster of reflections, leaving a, a place like the firm and going into the entrepreneurship with lots of risk, ambiguity. Um, uh, is associated with it. It's not an easy step, um, uh, but intuitively it feels right and I'm profoundly excited for everything that comes. And I'm also aware that everything that comes will also be above the right, there will be ups, there will be downs. Um, uh, but I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, that's life, absolutely. No, thank you so much for for sharing that. Um, and, and I think it fits with the next question as well. You know, a lot of those reflections and yeah, you can look at the rational side for making the change or not, um, but often it comes down to, to what feels right. And sometimes listening to that inner voice or that feeling, we need that inner dialogue, we need space, we need to have that you know conversation with ourselves, right? So in, in, in many, lots of work that we do in terms of health and well-being with, with busy people, it's about how you can create the space to have that, that inner dialogue. So for you, the past 15 years, and even now in the last month or two, you know, two profiles that aren't, let's say, associated with optimum well-being, right? A McKinsey partner and a startup entrepreneur, very much with, you know, significant pressure points on, on health and well-being. Could you share just some of your own, you know, personal strategies or hacks, if you want to call it, that allows you to keep you know, your own well-being front and center? Absolutely. And uh, um, I mean, it is a constant challenge, has always been over the last 15 years and will definitely be there um, over the years to come. And I think the first uh, the first thing is, is just being aware um, of how you feel and reflecting upon it and just kind of being from the unconscious um, part to get it to the conscious awareness of actually kind of how am I living my life? How do I feel every single day, every single week? And having these moments of you know, almost as a balcony moment, reflecting, looking back and looking forward. Purely these kind of small moments of reflections um, have helped me tremendously uh, to create that awareness at a constant basis. I think this was a transversal over the last 15 years that I embedded in the way. Um, uh, uh, in the way that I uh, live life uh, professionally, uh, professionally as well as personally. And then, uh, over the time, there the are multiple different, and I use the word hacks, uh, or, yeah, or, or things that I embedded in my own kind of way of living every day, living every week, um, uh, and also kind of every year. And so, some of them, to give you a flavor of what was work, what did work for, uh, for me, is the one inside. I have very specific moments to be connected with nature, um, uh, very precise moments, for example, with a group of friends every 18 months, we have three weeks we are, where we are um, absolutely disconnected from any device uh, climbing a certain mountain. It's always the same group of friends, but these kind of moments of uh, connection to nature is a very important kind of source of renewal of energy, of grounding. Um, uh, uh, for me, that's more at a macro level. At the very micro level, I re-engineered my days. I have a very kind of 
very concise habit. What do I do the first 30, 45 minutes once I wake up in the morning? So the first 30, 45 minutes, I don't um, uh, take a look at the cell phone. I have my seven minute yoga uh, yoga meditation. I do some gratefulness um, reflections in, in the morning. Then I take a shower and only after that, I actually kind of try to look um, at the cell, uh, cell phone. And only kind of this small hack in the morning makes a big difference how you, or how for me personally, I uh, um, start my day and then during the day there are multiple different small things. So I started uh, with one minute medita- meditations, be it in a taxi ride, be it in a, uh, on a plane, like small different elements that just 60 seconds um, take away your mind um, of conscious reflection of what's happening right now and purely kind of gets you into different waves, men- uh, mind waves uh, and that's profoundly um, uh, profoundly helpful as well. And the last kind of two things that helped me profoundly as well, I have a digital detox day per week. So it's literally kind of one day per week where my wife and myself decide it's 24 hours where we try to be. We don't always accomplish it, but purely kind of trying to always helped us tremendously just 24 hours without cell phone, just kind of being together with friends, with family, uh, having quality time between us. So the digital detox um, is a very uh, important moment uh, moment for us and then exercise i think it's very profoundly important next to the yoga i try to work out uh, at least five days a week and sometimes it's just a 20 minute run it does not have to be the full hour or one and a half hours of sport sometimes it's small uh, kind of elements of 15 20 minutes that i inject in the day that also kind of makes me so i think it's a combination of overall awareness um, knowing what provides you energy and for me nature is an important point quality time with my wife is an important point Having some hacks during the day that helps you to to reflect and re-energize at a, at a constant basis, and not in these moments only every month. Yeah, a certain moment. Um, yeah, that's just a couple of ideas, uh, Steve. What yeah, no, absolutely. No, that's great, and it aligns very well with you know a lot of the work that we that we do uh, in the lab. Even yesterday, you know, with a group. And as a young group, you know, and um, because I think an element here is is permission, right? You've got a lot of young, talented millennials and there's expectations that they always have to be available and responsive and and online. Uh, And one of the things that we mentioned to them yesterday in this this workshop in in Stockholm was just saying, look, you know, you don't need to jump straight in onto the, the kind of carousel or right onto the hamster wheel as soon as you're conscious in the morning. And I often uh, reference an article from Harvard Business Review, which asked, how do you spend the first 10 minutes of your day? So just having that space as you do, that 30, 45 minutes, go for the shower and then getting going in, in that virtual world. Um, and then the follow-up article on HBR was, how do you spend the last 10 minutes of your day? Um, because what that also tells us and aligned also with some of the other things that you do, you, know, you, don't, you don't need to have or spend a lot of time. You know, We often talk about marginal gain theory with, with our clients and we just say, look, what is the small amount of time, the minute, as you say, for the meditation, 20 minutes of exercise and whatever it is, and it makes a massive difference. You just build it in uh, through a real understanding of, of habit forming and you don't take away time for doing good work, right? It's not about doing less. So that's great to hear. And I think it's very important that we hear cases like this from very busy, very successful people, and it gives us others the permission uh, to to do likewise. The nature thing also, I think, is, is fascinating just hearing that, and I know that you've been climbing these uh, mountains in the, in the past few years. 
And even, you know, walking in nature, we know a lot of the work and research recently on biophilic design in offices and, you know, any element of green within another otherwise sterile environment makes such a big difference. Um, and even walking in nature, you know, just walking in amongst trees uh, reduces things like rumination and stress and all these different things. So, but I think, and as you say also, finding out what works for each of us on an individual level, just having this exploration, recognising that it isn't just about getting the answer and then putting your feet up. It is a constant challenge, right? But many thanks for sharing that. You know, on a, on a general level, and just to kind of finish our conversation, maybe one general question, reflection, and then more specifically again with, with Enable. But first of all, generally, you know, so many changes in this world of work, so many, you know, disruptions, transformations, um, you know, I firmly believe you're an optimist. I know this even, you know, from, from knowing you the past 18 months, and I think even our listeners will know that listening to you the last 25 minutes. Um, it's, it's hard working today, balancing work and life. But are you really optimistic that we have a future working world where we can really flourish? Um, any, any general level reflections on that? That is a great question, Stephen. And uh, exactly as you say, I mean, by nature, I'm an extreme op optimist. And I personally, personally I think that uh, every individual actually kind of deserves to be in an environment and also kind of practically shape the environment to be uh, in a higher percentage in flow, in a state of sustainability that actually kind of is something that becomes workable over time and not kind of working from weekend to weekend and trying kind of to be in a survival mode during the day. So I think this is kind of almost kind of a human right, as I say. Um, can we get there? I have the profound belief that absolutely yes. Uh, is it easy? Absolutely not. I think that the journey of the upcoming years um, uh, will be uh, quite a rocky road. I think there will be many individuals and many organizations that will leapfrog. Um, there will be many organizations that will be laggards in uh, the journey. I think one common denominator is I think that organizations overall, overall, the awareness is rising that something needs to be shifted. And I think um, that not purely comes of the new generations of the Gen Set and the, the millennials and everybody that enters into the workshop force. I also believe beyond this there is a global awakening currently happening where spirituality per se is playing more and more an important uh, role and so i think the awareness is there and will rise even more over the years to come and um, there will be some organizations that are led by leaders that will be leaders in the field and really create organizations which by the way these organizations that will leapfrog will also be the ones that will be the most successful ones. I have the profound conviction of that. But there will be other organizations that are laggards. And I just hope uh, for, the, for the world overall that there is enough momentum uh, created that actually the entire average um, uh, rises over time. I have the belief that we will get there, but it will not be, uh, will not be a straight. Yeah, absolutely. No, I share those sentiments. And yeah, let, let's do our bit also for that vision to become a reality. And just finally, uh, enable vision 12 months from now, what, what's going on? What do you want to happen? What would you like to see? Millions of different things happening right now. It's, uh, it, it, as you said, no, I'm, uh, we are in Boston right now. We're strengthening uh, the team. We have a couple of new uh, joiners that uh, uh, we are on board uh, on the data science side, on the product side, on the tech side. Uh, so we are strengthening the team and then also kind of simplifying the product and creating momentum 
um, at clients. We have uh, a multitude of pilot clients right now running um, in the Middle East, a couple of first client conversations happening in the US. And if you ask me the next 12 months, I think it's about creating um, a striking, high-performing team of like-minded individuals that share the passion, that are complementary uh, in terms of capabilities, and then having uh, some great cases of impact um, uh, at the client uh, client front, and just kind of cementing um, enable as um, um, an organization that can help uh, with a very kind of uh, strong scientific base uh, the environment, and then. What happens afterwards, let's see um, uh, uh, where we will migrate to. But uh, in immediate uh, term, it's really about kind of uh, getting the team ready, solidifying our product, uh, creating traction on the client from in the US, in the Middle East, and beyond. And then we take it from there. I don't think that uh, we should plan too, too much uh, ahead in the next uh, six to nine, 12 months. No, that's great. And that sounds like you've got your plate full as well. Absolutely. No, Misha, wishing you the very best of luck with Enable and many thanks for your time today. Thank you. Yeah, thank you.